This episode is brought to you by Updater, the app that gets residents move in ready faster. Did you know that residents who are happy at their move-in experience are 59% more likely to renew their lease? Move-ins matter. So get them right with Updater. Visit go.updater.com forward slash Mike to learn more and receive a special gift when you book a demo. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Collected Conversations, where it is my job to tease out human potential in the multifamily space from all different facets of life and business. Today, I am joined by Jude uh, Chewy, uh, founder and uh, of Flamingo, and also I learned Jude, a, an aspiring Ironman. Is that right? Uh, yep. The swim <laughs> is what's keeping me from being an actual Ironman. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, I want to welcome you to the show. How are you today? Uh, doing well. So it's a beautiful day in Chicago. Um, so as we spoke about, Chicago is just amazing in the summer and maybe a little bit different from Atlanta in the summer. <laughs> um, a little lot different. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely true. Um, I, I have to back up. I meant to ask you how to pronounce your last name before I hit record. I hope I didn't butcher it too badly. Oh, uh, you were close enough. Uh, oh. Chi, Chi. So like, uh, why? Yep. <laughs> okay. Well, I, my apologies. I uh, I hate that I didn't ask you. Ahead of time. <laughs> no, all good. All right. Thank you for your grace. Uh, well, okay. So I, I do want to read one thing to sort of open here if you're open to it. I, I did clip it off of your LinkedIn site and it just struck me and I loved it. And so I wanted to share it and then just have you unpack it for, uh, for us, if you don't mind, just to get started. Um, it says, despite trying as a kid, I never developed superpowers to fight crime and help people. I founded Flamingo as my way of making the world a better place by simplifying life for residents and property managers. Ultimately, my vision is a world where everyone knows their neighbors and is willing to help them out. Uh, unpack that for us. I love it. <laughs> Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So like most kids, I grew up adoring and watching superheroes and every day getting out of bed and jumping in the air to see if I had randomly in the middle of the night developed like superpowers. <laughs> and I'm not going to say I don't do that anymore. <laughs> One day. One, One day. day it's come true. Uh, but I mean, I've always admired superheroes in a way that I don't think a lot of people appreciate because for a lot of superheroes, it's someone that has developed some type of ability and rather than use that for like selfish reasons, uh, they decide like, hey, I am going to use this gift that I have to really make the world a better place. Um, so for me, it's something that has always really struck me. And it's something that I've really always admired and aspired to. So with not being able to have any powers, um, I looked at the other ways I could potentially do that. Uh, so growing up, uh, my goal was to uh, become a doctor. Um, so I was pre-med through most of my time in college, uh, but then decided to uh, not go into the clinical side of healthcare but rather go into the operation side. Um, I was lucky enough to get an internship during college um, in Australia to work with like a group of neurosurgeons, oh, wow. which is what I wanted to do. And I really liked it. But during that internship or uh, fellowship, I got the opportunity to interact with the business people at the hospital. So I got to realize that they have even more impact in some ways than the physicians themselves. And part of it is because the physicians are great and that's what it is in the US as well. But where you can have more broad impact is on the operations and business side of healthcare. So increasing access for people that don't have access, uh, bringing in technology um, to make and streamline healthcare operations. So all those elements that can actually impact healthcare in a much more broader way than mm -hmm. actually being a physician. So when I came back to the US, decided that it made more sense to go into healthcare operations rather than uh, clinical healthcare. So decided to go into healthcare management for this company called the uh, Cancer Treatment Centers of America. Mm -hmm. So worked for them for a few years and a really great company, 
But after working in a cancer hospital, uh, you realize just how hard it is. Yeah. And I realized that prevention was maybe better. So to focus on prevention rather than um, uh, hospitals. So I decided to start a company focused around uh, health and wellness, where we would bring uh, fitness classes and wellness events to office buildings, to senior centers, to apartment buildings. So that's actually how I initially got into the apartment industry was uh, we provided fitness classes to residents. And that was a way to bring wellness, a way to bring residents together and help them like connect with their neighbors to make life better for them. Uh, but obviously after being in the space, I realized that there was a lot more opportunity to drive engagement and neighborhood connection more so than just fitness classes which is how we ended up developing uh, a resident app that allows uh, residents to stay connected, uh, streamline what they do, and uh, continue to have impact on a much broader scale. So uh, that is my version of trying to be a superhero. So a little bit roundabout, but that's how it all kind of came together. I, I I like that. It's, you know, what came to mind for me is that you're, it, if, if you're a doctor, you're impacting one person at a time, right? It's yeah. a, and, and not that that isn't important. It's extremely important, but it, but it's sort of a slow road. And what it sounds like to me is that your, uh, it became your sort of your heart's mission to, to impact the masses, be it through administration and operations and yeah. or now on the prevention side. Yeah. And that was, that was exactly the thinking behind it. It's like, <laughs> as a single doctor, you can make a pretty big difference, but it's limited to the hours that you have. And then limited to the time that you are alive was if you can create infrastructure change and create systems and all of that, you can have much broader impact that lasts a long, long time. That's right. And it, you know what I really love about your your mission, and we'll unpack Flamingo more, but uh, it's, and, and I, I don't know, I, I don't want to wade into waters that aren't appropriate, but it, it seems like the healthcare industry, at least in our country, is is more about potentially keeping you in a state of, you know, unrepair, disrepair, or unhealth, and as opposed to being focused on the prevention side, right? The way the, the system is designed, or at least from my perspective, it seems that way. The incentives are set up the wrong way. Yeah, I'll say absolutely. And um, I think you hit it on the head about like incentives. The way things are set up really isn't there for people to be well in a lot of ways or to prevent uh, what could potentially save the uh, industry like millions of dollars? Like the mm -hmm. largest expense for the U.S. in terms of GDP is like uh, healthcare. Right. So it's just an area where there's so much opportunity if the root causes were a little bit more of a focus rather than uh, when someone is already like sick or at the hospital itself. That's right. So let's talk about flamingo and what flamingo does on the by we have to start by how'd you come up with the name flamingo i also like that very much <laughs> but, uh, but then sort of unpack you know what flamingo actually does i know it's a resident app but i know there's much more to it than that yeah um so it really uh came about randomly but also it all made sense when uh we were working on it mm -hmm. um so when we started providing like fitness classes to apartments, I would ask like, Hey, uh, you have a pretty big budget where you are spending like a thousand dollars, $2,000, whatever per month on resident events and on fitness classes. Um, how do we track our ride for this? How do we ensure that, um, at the end of the month or at, at the end of the year, uh, you don't kick us out because you're like, oh, this isn't worth it. <laughs> so yeah. what systems do you use to track attendance or engagement? And a lot of times, I'm not even, not a lot of times, like almost for all situations, they were like, oh, we don't have that. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So man. we build a very basic app, like an RSVP app, uh, to allow residents to RSVP for the classes. And then when we built the app and as we were growing, uh, we would get a lot of questions from residents, like, uh, how do you vet your instructors? Uh, what do I need to bring to class? Uh, how hard is this class going to be? All those like questions, like the same thing over and over. 
And we're like, this is kind of annoying. <laughs> so uh, we added a basic like FAQ section to the app uh, that kind of answered all the uh, typical questions residents would ask. And then some of our clients were like, oh, wow, we also get a lot of questions from our residents. Can we add information about our building on the app? Because people email us like, what's the Wi-Fi? What's on my lease? All these questions that the teams would get over and over and over. So that's kind of where the light bulb like went. I'm like, oh, huh, there might be something here. So uh, when that happened, um, I decided to spend about four months where from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., I would pick a street in Chicago and just walk down that street and stop at every apartment to talk to the residents, the on-site teams, the property manager, assistant, really whoever would listen to find out like, hey, how do you guys do this process? How, what do you like about working here? What don't you like? What, do you, what are your biggest complaints? And did that for four months where I got, I would say, my industry education, just learning like what life is like for on-site teams, what residents I like, what they don't like. And from that, that's kind of where the Flamingo came from. One of the uh, most common elements that came up when you would talk to a property manager about your biggest challenge would be that they struggle with standing out. So... Property management is a little bit different than other industries where for most companies, you might have competitors, but your competitors are like out there somewhere in the world. Right. Whereas in property management, your competitors across the street, you see a prospective customer walk into your door, look at your fitness center, look at your pool, look at your uh, amenities, look at the empty unit, and then walk out the door and go to the next building over and do exactly the same thing and see exactly the same things. They see the pool, uh, fitness center, yoga room, uh, empty unit, and then they somehow have to decide what is different between these two buildings that have exactly the same amenity located in exactly the same place. So the common theme I heard from them was like, we don't know how to stand out. Like, I don't know how we can stand out. So uh, we came up with the name Flamingo because we help apartments stand out like a flamingo in a flock of pigeons. So that's where the name came from and the reason behind it. <laughs> I, you know, it, I have to tell you this. So I, I think it was, ooh, let's say it was two or three NAAs ago. It was in San Diego. Yeah. Um, and I'd not heard of Flamingo before that moment in time. And uh, maybe it was four years ago. I can't remember. With yeah. COVID oh, yeah. Uh, if it was San Diego, it was like two or three, uh, two years ago, two years ago. Okay. So, yeah. And you were actually set up, I think you were doing live podcasts at the time yeah. at the show, uh, not in the main facility, but right across from the main facility. And, and I remember what struck me most is the, the pink, right? And like, yeah. like who is this guy? And, and so I remember walking by and you were talking to someone at the time and, and that's how I discovered Flamingo yeah. and did a little more research. So good job. Yeah. Definitely. Oh, thank you. Sure. So really that was for us. We wanted something that really does uh, show the essence of it, which is a standout, so bright pink, um, easily to visualize and just like there. And that aligns with what our customers are trying to achieve, which is to stand out. Yeah. I, you know, it's so true. It's, um, you know who Seth Godin is? Um, I do not. What's the last he, name? Uh, Godin. He's a, he's a famous marketer. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know him. Yep, yep. Yeah. You probably love his book. So he, he wrote this book called The Purple Cow, and he, mm -hmm. he opens the book by telling the story about traveling in the countryside of Europe, and he sees uh, you know, a field full of brown cows, but then he's thinking like, there's just a bunch of brown cows in a field, but what if they were like purple, right? And then when I got home and I was telling people about my vacation in Europe and, and I was telling them about purple cows, then you know, it becomes a remarkable or a memorable event that people then carry on. And that's how stories, you know, the sneeze effect works and so on and so yeah. forth. And it's, it is like that with apartment communities, you get, you get one developer and designer together. And then all of a sudden the guy across the street has mimicked mm -hmm. your design and he puts those buildings up and then they become cookie cutter. And it is hard yeah. to differentiate between, between buildings. Yeah. So your, your service, I, I imagine you started or morphed your business up around the time that COVID 
kind of became a thing, not kind of, it did become a thing in the, in the world. I imagine the uptake for your product became really good at that point in time. Is that right? Or yeah. So uh, prior to that, uh, we had all elements of the product. So we had mm -hmm. the mix of our events, fitness classes, but then the resident app and everything that goes into that. <laughs> uh, but when COVID hit, uh, we really saw a lot more utilization and demand. Yeah. And part of that was just very basic things like, oh, I need, we need to reserve amenities or we need these like complex um, business rules. So I am a pretty big like product person and we developed like a pretty in-depth like product across the board. And sometimes like as a product person, you're like, do we really need this? Because it doesn't seem like people are going to uh, like actually see the value of it. Um, so part of that was like, for example, for like amenity reservations, you can reserve amenities and that just be it. But we had all these like complex business rules, like you could limit how often a resident could reserve an amenity, how far in the future, how many people could reserve an amenity at one time. So all these things that prior to the pandemic probably weren't that attractive to people. But when it happened where you needed to limit how many people could use an amenity at one time, you wanted to prevent residents from uh, just booking too many at one time, preventing them from booking too far in advance. So all those rules are just now like, oh yeah, no, we have that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it just kind of made sense for people like really, really quickly and really easy. Did it also, I, I was thinking for fitness classes because they, obviously those are things that are generally in person were you able to facilitate fitness classes virtually through the app at that time? Just, just out of curiosity. Yeah. So again, had things that <laughs> we had, but just really didn't think too much about it. Like we had virtual events, we had virtual fitness, and then we also had like on-demand fitness classes as well on the app. So, um, most people are probably familiar with the other companies that provide like on-demand fitness, but oh, typically residents can only access them like in the yoga room. Uh, with us, uh, with our on-demand fitness, residents could access it from the app itself and they could also stream it on their own TVs and they could also participate in fitness challenges directly from the app. So all these things that we had on the app that prior to the pandemic, most people would have been like, uh, why would I really need residents to be able to access fitness classes from their living room? Uh, but when the pandemic happened, it was like, yeah, all they have to do is like, uh, uh, Apple played or Google cast it to their own like TV. And then because everyone was so disconnected, um, we have fit, uh, monthly like fitness challenges within the app that you could participate. Um, so residents could just like join those fitness challenges and see what their neighbors are doing. Um, even though they weren't, they couldn't physically see those neighbors uh, anymore. Uh, but this allowed that really stronger sense of community. And kind of like, oh yeah, I'm working on other people. So it's all things that you add as a product person, you, you know, or you at least think it's valuable and helpful, uh, but you, in your gut, you're like, would customers like actually appreciate this? But then when you get on occasion like that, you're like, oh wow. Yeah. So that's the reason why we did that. <laughs> that makes sense. I, it, it makes me think this may be an obvious question or an obvious answer, but I know you collect a tremendous amount of data. Mm -hmm. uh, through these interactions <clears throat> and my, my imagination tells me that you could, in the early innings, you could probably get this technology into a community and then over some bit of time, call it 30, 60, 90, 120 days, you start to discern what residents really like the most. Um, and, or now you could probably walk into any community more broadly speak about what people like. Yeah. Is, does that go into the sort of calculus of telling property managers, Hey, you should do this on this day for this reason, uh, and help uh, them. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, to your point about it being actually broader than like a specific community, mm -hmm. uh, we go back and we not go back and forth on that, but it's pretty simple in the sense that a lot of people are the same across the board. Everyone likes to think the residents are very special or very different. <laughs> <laughs> the truth is like most residents are like the same. So we see uh, on our resident surveys, we see people complain about the same things like security. Uh, they complain about dog poop. They complain about like the very basic. So it's always like very similar things across the board. We look at resident satisfaction. 
uh, kind of the same predictors of like which buildings are going to have higher satisfaction versus like lower satisfaction. And what's been helpful is all that data is helping us like show, okay, for you to go from a resident satisfaction of X to Y, here are the things that you need to do. And a lot of times it's like very, very simple. Um, one of the easiest things people can do to impact resident satisfaction is literally send more emails to your residents. Huh. So literally just like one or two emails per week. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you say, just send more emails to residents. If the elevator is down, send an email. If someone in the office is out, send an email. Just all those like small things, it correlates directly with resident satisfaction. And our best performing buildings, we see that correlation and they are doing nothing that different. It's just more constant communication. I was actually, uh, one of the things I'm going to post today, uh, and email out is that correlation for one of our clients, their resident communication includes everything from the elevators out to one recent one they had was one person in the office just gave birth. And they had a picture of the baby, like, hey, welcome XYZ to the XYZ family. Um, very simple. Our event tonight, we're excited to have you tonight. Please come join us. You can bring a guest or whatever. Very simple communication. Like they do that twice a week, like very consistently. Uh, they communicate very random things out to uh, residents. And you look at their Google reviews, they are four out of like 4.6 out of five on average across the review sites. The industry average is uh, just about 3.7. And yeah. the same thing to their resident satisfaction, the internal just as high. And the main thing they do differently is they just uh, constantly in communication with their residents. That is, that is just wild to me that a simple act. And I mean, I think what it brings to mind for me is to the extent that you can really knit together the fabric of community in your, I mean, it's one thing to call it an apartment community, but do we really do community in that apartment building, right? Yeah. What I hear you saying is, hey, a small touch here that's kind of personalized in nature from the, the, the team standpoint and or the physical asset, and we do that consistently, people yeah. start to get embedded in the community. Yeah, and they and feel that, just like so much like for that post about the baby, they had like 150 congratulations, congratulations. Well, so can I wait, bring her into the office at some point, that kind of thing. And that's a real engagement. Um, that wasn't an event where they spent like $1,000 to run the event. It was just literally took someone two minutes <laughs> to take a picture of a baby, a new baby, and then send that out. And like, hey, uh, welcome our littlest <laughs> staff member to right. And it was just that. Yeah, it, it's yeah. so it's so interesting in the, I mean, there is a lot of noise in the world, you know, things that sort of struggle for our attention on an ongoing basis, but it, it seems like those small touches are the ones that actually anymore, right? It's the mm -hmm. signal and the noise that is actually getting through. It's that stuff that is personalized and local to, to you. Yeah. An apartment community is a perfect place to sort of do that. Yeah. And the other really fascinating thing on that um, communication element is on when things are not going well. So for what we found is for a lot of companies, uh, they tend to close off communication when things are not going well, like if they have a lot of issues like security or noise going on. For our like best performing clients, the data that we see is they actually lean into those elements so if they are struggling with uh, security things or uh, like for a lot of our clients in the San Francisco area, some of them have like issues with um, uh, individuals that are homeless coming through the site or sure. security gates. So for most companies, they try to solve that at the leadership level or at the office level. Um, our best performing customers, we see them really like lean into that to ask residents like, oh, we are struggling with uh, a homeless population coming into the building. How do you guys suggest we solve that? Or oh, uh, we're struggling with a security gate constantly breaking down. Do you guys know who we could reach out to to help? Like they lean into it and residents really appreciate that. They're like, oh, I know this person. Oh, I think we should do this. Oh, I think we should add this policy. Um, the same thing too, rather than create like 
random, not random rules, but rather than just create rules to solve a problem, like one of our clients, they uh, were struggling with a lot of residents bringing in a lot of guests to amenity areas. And they were getting complaints from other residents. Most companies would develop a rule to say, you can only bring two, three or whatever guests. And then send that out to residents like, hey guys, we now have a new rule. You can only bring two or three guests. Um, the companies that we see do really well. Uh, one, for example, they send out that information like, hey, as you all know, we are struggling with people that are sometimes bringing in like five, four, whatever number of their friends. And we get it. We have great amenities. So you want to share it with uh, your friends and take advantage of it. But at the same time, we are seeing some noise complaints and some people saying that they are not able to access those amenities because it's been taken up by non-residents. Uh, what do you all propose we implement as a rule? And on that thing, they had like a hundred plus comments from residents with suggestions, arguing back and forth, like what they should do. And it's real, a real like town hall type thing. Yeah. And everyone can then see at the end when they came up with a solution, how that solution came to be. It didn't make everyone happy, but they could see that they got input from the residents and then that's how it was established. I, I mean, just what, a, what another testament to building community, right? When you bring people into the solution, it, you know, it brought, it brought to my, and how creative they are, right? Yeah. I was thinking about, uh, I won't be able to attribute the site of, or the source of this, but there was a, a, a local gym where they provided shampoo. You mm -hmm. know, if you go, you work out, you get, you take a shower, there's shampoo there, but they had to deal with people stealing the shampoo bottles too. One of the members came up with the idea of like, just take the lid off. Right. And so, because now they can't, you can't put that in your gym bag or it's yeah. going to spill all over everything. Right. And so, still smart. right. And so I, but I have to imagine through this, this resident uh, interaction through the, through yeah. the app or facilitated by the app, there are a lot of ideas that you just wouldn't have. Yeah. Right. You wouldn't have thought of. Because for a lot of uh, on-site team members, they would struggle with that. Like, yeah, like, what do we do here? But you bring that collective in, uh, speaking of collective, yeah, and, cool. <laughs> Thanks. bring that multifamily collective in, <laughs> and, uh, they can figure out a, pro a solution to the problem. Yeah, that's right. Jude and I actually talked about doing that little thing right there. Just <laughs> yeah, very flat now, very flat now. <laughs> no, it's... You know, it's interesting. We, uh, it makes me think going back to sort of business infrastructure. I know we were talking about this prior to, or a little bit prior to, to hitting the record button, but it, uh, if you organize your business in the right way and you create these moments where you can get mass mind share, whether it be internal or external, you can actually really create interesting things for your business infrastructure by inviting outside yeah. communities or participating in outside communities to get yeah. really good ideas. Yeah, really using your customers to solve your business problems because That's they right. see day to day and they know where you are falling short or where you could excel even more. And then when they see you actually listen or implement it, they are more likely to stick around because they're like, wow, you guys really care about my opinion. And the things that I wanted to see fixed are actually being like fixed. That's that's right. It. it it makes me imagine just the story you told about the sort of the origin of Flamingo in the first place, where you did a four month education by walking into every office in, in Chicago or many of them, you, you learned from a team member perspective, right? How their business could be better. And, and you built a business off of those solving those concerns, right? Or, yeah. or some of those concerns, certainly. Leasing teams can spend more than six hours every week, sending welcome letters, following up, collecting documents, and yet residents still show up on move-in day unprepared. Move-in day sets a tone for the entire relationship with that resident. Getting it right matters. According to Kingsley, residents happy with their move-in experience are 59% more likely to renew their lease. Move-ins matter. Jenna Miller, the Senior Director of Marketing and Customer Experience at Bazudo, says Updater has been instrumental in helping them remove friction from the move-in process. They rely on Updater to save leasing teams valuable time and create a consistent and branded move-in experience across the entire portfolio. To see Updater in action, visit go.updater.com forward slash Mike. As a thank you to my listeners, Updater is offering a special gift when you book a demo. Move-ins matter. Get them right with Updater. That's go.updater.com 
forward slash Mike. Take I love that. <laughs> what? Is so I, I want to take a, a bit of a left turn here. <clears throat> you, I have to imagine, uh, you collect a lot of data. How are you thinking about, and I, you know, I know AI and generative AI and MLLs and all of these sorts of things are they're almost buzzy at this point, but um, I'm just interested in how you are thinking about that as a, I, I guess, a, a technology that might help your business. Yeah. Um, so for us, it is something that uh, we are very, very serious about. And it is before um, chat GTP and all those things like blew up. Um, it's already something that we had pretty much like implemented to allow our customers to more quickly, excuse me, and easily like see and absorb their data. So for us, we track data across various elements from operational data like resident satisfaction to engagement data on like how connected residents are um, to service level data, like how quickly do maintenance teams like complete maintenance requests how quickly do the on-site teams respond to residents when they send an email or that kind of thing um, to online review data, like what are residents saying online, what are average reviews, and what are all those things uh, connected? So we, con we collect a lot of that. And with that much data, it's really difficult to make sense of it more than just right. outside of, oh, our resident satisfaction is a four out of five this month. What do we do? But in order to really make sense of that and for someone at the senior level to actually make sense of it, you need to provide that qualitative. And yeah. that's where AI and large language models uh, come into place because you click a button, it reads through um, not just the uh, quantitative numbers, but also like what our residents like actually say, and then creates that sentiment analysis for you and a summary like, hey, this month, uh, most of your residents are really happy, but here are the complaints that people have. Some people are complaining about security. Some people are complaining about um, the on-site team taking too long to get back to them. And here is the recommendations that we have for you to ensure that uh, this is fixed for the next month. So it's those types of things that, yep, at the very senior level, you don't want to go in and read through a thousand resident surveys or a thousand like online reviews. So a large language model uh, does that and then provides like a nice like summary. Now, are you, I'm curious, your, do you build in on the front side specific prompts that yield that data or is it, how does that, how does it spit that particular recommendation, the sentiment and the recommendation, how does it spit that out? Are you building prompts on the front side for it to do that? Uh, yeah. So um, a couple of ways that's like done. One is actually just capture the sentiment. So the easiest way to capture sentiment is just ask people. Um, in the industry, traditionally, like how the industry has gotten resident feedback has been to do like twice a month or twice a year surveys, maybe once a year or twice a year. Uh, the issue with that is most times because those surveys are like 10 to 20 questions, <laughs> residents tend to not complete them. So you get really low completion rate. Right. That's so right. for us at the front end, we do what we call like pulse surveys. So it's like one to five, like how happy are you with the staff this month? How happy are you with the amenities? And those are triggered just in time. If you use an amenity, you get an amenity survey. If you've just moved in, you get a move-in survey. If you have interacted with a staff, you get a staff. Similar to how with Uber or Lyft, whenever yeah. you have a ride, it's like one to five, how was your uh, ride? And then they have the option to provide like more qualitative feedback. And you kind of incentivize people to uh, provide more feedback or qualitative feedback by rewarding them for doing that. So that way you get a lot of data but you yeah. get a lot of data simply because the surveys are really short and it's what people are used to and that it's just in time. So it's relevant to, okay, yeah, I did, I did just use the amenity. So let me read the amenities. Rather than a resident getting an email randomly in the middle of the year, like, what do you think about amenities? And they're like, this isn't that relevant to me right yeah. now. So that's part of how you get like the initial data. But then the other data comes from uh, <laughs> systems that you are integrated with. Um, so the data that comes from the teams just doing their day-to-day -day work. 
So you know, okay, this maintenance request was opened on January 2nd at 5 p.m. and it was closed on January 5th at 7 p.m. So it took them four or five days to complete that. So you cannot track that data on the back end along with other like operational data, like how quickly are the teams responding to residents? Uh, how many times are they emailing their residents? Uh, how many times are residents looking at like your digital resident guide, which is a way for residents to find information themselves in the app? How many times they interact with the chatbot? So you can see what's happening and then you get all that data and they can combine it across the board. And then those, those, so out of all that data, then the system is actually making recommendations. So it's not like, not only do you not have to read it, but you don't have to necessarily critically think through what you what action steps you need to take because it's telling you, hey, if you just get back to people in 24 yeah. hours instead of five days, they're probably going to be happier. Exactly, exactly. And if you, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, and what's nice is too, that you do also see that without the system having to even look at that because residents, you also see like what residents are actually complaining about because they say, I send an email and no one gets back to me. So you can see like, okay, that's probably why. And then uh, with the quantitative data, you can actually see that, okay, yeah, that's true. The average response time to resident communication is 48 hours or uh, five days or whatever. So you can then combine the two, both what residents are actually complaining about or leaving reviews about on the external review sites and the actual numbers to uh, support that. Ah, I got it. Yeah. Now, now, does the system also, if, if I've got a resident who's sitting out there with poor sentiment as a result of whatever, the system would prompt property manager or somebody to, hey, you really need to get back to this person. Is that is that built into the platform as well? Or uh, Yeah. So part of that is uh, like resident health scores. So <sighs> yeah, so um, we view... So our platform is a resident retention platform. Okay. So our whole goal is to help companies move away from the industry average of 50% retention to more like 60, 65. Yeah. In most other industries, average customer satisfaction is typically around 75%. For software, much higher. Other things are a little bit higher. But for multifamily, it's uh, much lower at about 50%. Mm -hmm. And... The reason behind that is because multifamily has traditionally been um, a sales model rather than a retention model. And you can tell based on staffing and based on the metrics that the industry tracks. So most apartments have two or whatever number of leasing agents. So they are the sales team. Right. And then the marketing team tracks very, very in-depth data. They track website visitors. They track conversion from the website to a tour. They track um, tour scheduling to actually showing up. They track showing up to actually completing a lease or uh, applying, applying to actually uh, sending money or whatever it is, and then moving right. in. So the data there is like very, very strong, like very granular. But when you look at retention data or retention staffing, most companies do not have a retention agent. I've right. not come across that. Uh, they don't have a retention agent, so it's not really staffed for that. And then um, the dedicated like retention is typically, let's spend $600 per month on resident events. So that translates to about $3 per resident for retention. Like that's the retention budget per resident. It's like a cup of coffee. So let's get our residents a cup of coffee every month. And that's our <laughs> retention. That's how we retain them. And then if you look at the data for what correlates with retention, most companies don't really have retention data. They track resident satisfaction and they track uh, retention. So if you compare that to the customer acquisition data where they track everything from website conversion to show up rate, the retention data is just very, very primitive. It's like two things, satisfaction and uh, the actual retention number. But if you look at tech companies, um, they focus a lot more on retention because similar to multifamily, you have someone paying like $2,000 per, uh, per month, and that's a lot of money. So tech companies focus a lot on retention, and they focus a lot on retention predictors and metrics. So you have 
not only um, data like customer satisfaction, but you track more granular data, like how quickly do we respond to our customers when they email us? Yeah. Um, how much of our product is our customers using? So like for us, we track everything. We know how many times someone has logged in. We know which features they are using. And if we see that someone isn't using a specific feature, we know, oh, that person either doesn't like that feature, doesn't know it exists, uh, isn't seeing value or something else, which is a risk predictor, which means that five months later, they might be like, why am I paying for this if I'm not using it? Yeah. So as a tech company, you try to get on in front of that by saying, hey, Mike, by the way, we have this survey tool and it looks like you haven't yet looked at your resident responses or your surveys. Like, let me show you how to do it. So, and then the customer gets value out of it. But in multifamily, we typically don't see that customer retention data or uh, approach. Like this resident moved into our building and we have a fitness center, we have a yoga room, we have on-demand fitness, we have a pool, we have all these great uh, products within our building, but they have never used the pool. They have never used the sauna. They've never attended an event. So at the end of the year, are they really going to want to renew if they haven't gotten any value from uh, the product that they pay for? So with uh, our retention, focus on retention, you look at not just that data, but you look at what is like actual absorption. And that's how you then get to that 60, 65, 70% retention that we are seeing. And then you also look at the other elements of that, which is like loyalty. So in the airline and the hotel industry, loyalty programs are just like a standard, like no hotel or no airline exists without a loyalty program. And that's the reason cool. behind that is it works. Like there are people that in like late December, they book a flight that they don't actually fly. They just like book a flight somewhere, fly, they come back just so they can keep their loyalty points to get across that next tier or to maintain their tier. Like someone literally spent money <laughs> to to keep their status. That's and right. people go and buy flights uh, that are much more expensive because they want to stay within that airline. If I am a United flight, if I'm a United uh, member, I want to buy the United flight, even though it might be $50, $75 more than the American because all my loyalty program sticks is with United. So for the apartment industry, that focus on loyalty hasn't yet kind of broken through. People have a rewards program where they give gift cards and all of those, but to have a more sophisticated reward, you have to think beyond just like, here's a $10 gift card. You have to think more like tiers, like how hotels think about it. Yeah. And you have to think beyond like the single building and think across your portfolio. Because by default, a lot of residents are not going to, um, might not always be able to renew within like one building. But if you say, hey, um, if you stick within our portfolio, you get to keep all your rewards. And that's how you get residents to stick uh, within the same portfolio across uh, the board. Yeah. So for us, that's been one of the big things we'll focus on. So making sure that all that data that people need uh, to drive retention is like there, providing the incentives to keep residents within the portfolio, and then making it really easy for residents to transfer if they need to, whether it's within the same building or across your portfolio. Uh, one of our most exciting features that for me was like one of my passions is our renewal like management, where within the app, residents are able to actually browse, like they have an in-app ILS, where they can browse available units at that building or available units across the whole portfolio. Huh. Um, yeah, it kind of came out randomly uh, from one of our customers here in Chicago, where I was looking through uh, the company site data and one of the residents uh, on his resident satisfaction survey, he said he is super happy with the building he lost the staff, but on his renewal intent, he was like, I'm not going to renew because I need something larger because my fiance is going to move in with me. So that resident didn't realize he can just transfer to right. a larger unit. And you might think, you might be like, why wouldn't he realize he can transfer? But the thing is residents don't know everything. They just do what they do. He just thought, just move out if I need to a larger unit. 
So we send that information, we send that to the leasing agent to say, hey, by the way, this guy, you could probably upgrade him to a larger unit and he's gonna love it. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. he did that. And he's he stuck around. He moved into a larger unit. His fiance moved in with him. So when that happened, we're like, <laughs> oh, there is a huge opportunity here to either help residents like upgrade uh within the same building or to help them stick within the same portfolio uh by making it easy for them to transfer when it's time for them to transfer so within our platform if a resident is like i'm not going to renew because of xyz or i'm moving from chicago to new york within the app they can immediately see the assets of that company that are available in new york they can quickly browse and then initiate a transfer and then stick within the portfolio and the best part is they get to keep all of their rewards as well too or whatever loyalty they have yeah so i i love that i uh so it it, it made me think because you're so if uh let's say we have a resident today that participates in the loyalty program as facilitated by Flamingo, but let's say they need to move to New York, but we don't have a portfolio in New York. Is there a scenario where you, um, you still have opportunities for them in a different community that still has a Flamingo product, right? In, in like, does that make sense? Like, uh, yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, that one hasn't been released yet. Uh, but oh. That's what we have. Yeah. So uh, basically, but no, you uh, you have the right instinct on that, uh, where it essentially acts like a referral network. Like, hey, yes, yes, um, that, that's a better this way. This company put it. doesn't have any assets here, but right. here are communities that you might like. And right now, we track data on about thirty thousand apartment uh, buildings. So we have like that full absorption. And how that all like works is we also are able to personalize it to that resident. Yeah. So if you are at uh, building A and we see that you attended fitness classes pretty regularly and you use the yoga room pretty regularly or whatever. So we have that profile. So now we can say, oh, here are assets in New York that you might like because they have a yoga room and they have weekly fitness classes. So this might be a really good fit for you rather than just like randomly. So we are able to look at all the data from everything the resident has done yeah. to recommend an asset that they, that might fit their specific like lifestyle. That is tremendous it, because it's, it's like you would want to be able to help that resident. Yeah. You don't have the physical location where you could, you could send them. You would still want them to realize their, their loyalty points. Not unlike the person who buys their plane ticket on yeah. this. <laughs> exactly. like, I want to keep my status. Yeah. <laughs> and residents get really sensitive about the uh, those <laughs> loyalty points. Like, I don't want to lose those. So they always like ask as well to like, I'm moving, but do I get to keep my points? Like, uh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Like, yeah. Like I, I have a Starbucks gold card that I've had for like forever. And, and every now and then I'm like, I have to ask people to go have a cup of coffee because I need to like get yeah. a couple cups in and I'm not going to drink them all myself. So. Yeah. Only to keep the gold status. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, um, I, I'm interested to know how you're, you're sort of thinking about the, you're, you're building. So let's kind of switch gears and go to like your corporate structure or, or your building of a company, uh, to support the application called Flamingo, um, uh, because we are, the multifamily collective and our mission really is to tease out human potential in the multifamily space. I'm, I'm curious how you're thinking about as a founder, the leadership in your organization and what you're thinking about these days in terms of building out the infrastructure that is uh, Flamingo. Yeah. So really, really good question because we are <laughs> at that point as well as we think about like how to grow the team better. Mm -hmm. um, and like any company we've struggled as well with like talent. Sure. Um, so that for me, it's like one of my next like focuses is how do you build a team? How do you bring in people that can be a 10 X like producer? So, um, as I think about like what that looks like, um, uh, it's a mix of having people that have like industry insight and knowledge, um, and also having people that have insights and knowledge for some of the correlations for where we want to get uh, take the multifamily industry. Mm -hmm. So an example would be um, 
airlines, just going back to that, it's a very competitive industry. So people in that industry, they have had to figure out like all the ways to keep their customers like loyal to that same uh, uh, airline or company or whatever. So you want people that have that ancillary knowledge uh, where they can translate that into uh, the apartment industry. But most industries like kind of face the same problems, which is how do we reduce costs? How do we increase revenue? How do we keep customers are loyal? How do we do all these things? So you just simply find the industries that have figured out the best way of doing that mm -hmm. and then bring in those people and then they can say, okay, this is how we solve this problem in our industry. And this is possibly how we can solve it in this industry uh, based on the guardrails that they have. Um, so kind of similar across the board. That's why I always recommend for companies, like especially in the multifamily space, one of the challenges the industry has right now is uh, like the customer journey mapping. So yeah. bringing people from industries that have figured it out, whether it's uh, uh, like uh, Disney, they have an amazing course on like customer experience or the Ritz. They have figured out how to make yeah. it. Or uh, we spoke about this a little bit ago, like Chick-fil-A, they have figured out how to have like next level, like customer success. So if I am on the board or I am the CEO or CEO of a company, I'll be like, I want to hire someone from an industry where they have just killed it when it comes to customer experience and just bring that person in and have him or her like build up my uh, resident experience or my resident loyalty or my automation, um, all those like elements. That means yeah. I want to take a little off ramp here. You mentioned the Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you, you have authored, I think four now you, you did one on Apple McDonald's, uh, Adam Newman's yeah. low company. Yeah. yeah. And I, I'm interested to know what was the genesis of these? They're fantastic, by the way, very well written and the insight I've read all of them and I, and the insights are just tremendous. So I'm wondering how that came to be. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> Uh, like, I'll be very honest. It came with frustration, um, okay. trying to sell our software to the industry <laughs> and just running across, we would explain it to people and just be like, oh, I, I, I kind of get it, but we don't really need that right now. So wanted to find like a softer approach <laughs> of educating the industry about why those things are important by showing them like how other companies might think of it because every company kind of faces the same thing. So for like Apple, they have just figured out a way to uh, have amazing customer service, amazing branding, build like really a strong following. And then most importantly, they charge for that. Like people buy Apple products and pay way more. So I realized that the best way to help the industry like kind of grabs onto that is by explaining it through a way that they might understand by talking about companies that they admire or like or are familiar with. So like owners, they want to make money. So let's talk about the fact that Apple charges way more than other companies that offer the same thing. And here's how they are able to do it. So the lessons for multifamily is you can make a lot more money by thinking like Apple in terms of like what you offer and how you market and how you position yourself. The same thing too with McDonald's. Uh, they are a freaking large company. They are <laughs> challenged because they have to serve so many burgers per day. So in multifamily, similar to McDonald's, a lot of things are like process driven. You have a move in process, you have a renewal process, you have X process. So all those things are processes. So you think about a company like McDonald's, like how have they done that where they have scaled across countries, across continents, and it's just like all over the place. And so how are they doing that? How are they doing that while innovating really quickly? So what lessons could the industry learn from that? <laughs> so it was basically like that frustration to say, hey, um, you might not think it's important. Oh, you might not be able to see how our platform delivers those things, but let's talk about how companies that are not in the space might do things a little bit differently than you are used to and why they would do it. And then what you can learn from that and how that could impact the bottom line. So it really just came from my frustration trying to get across like, Hey, buy my software. <laughs> <laughs> so. 
Well, so, I, I, yeah. <laughs> I appreciate your transparency. I again, again, they're they're great articles. I, I'm going to link to all of them in the show notes if you don't mind, because I I really encourage people to read them. They're they're very thoughtful and very insightful. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And the thing for us that we struggle with is like when we say, "Hey, you don't have to live with." Um, a fifty percent retention. Like you can literally get to a seventy percent retention. When you say that to people, no one believes you. Like people just like don't believe you. So you have to really like kind of show the evidence or show how it translates from other industries and how they are able to do that. Like literally, someone buying a flight on in December just to keep their loyalty is the same things our residents would do. They would be like, "Yeah, I want to move to one of your assets. I don't want to like leave because I don't want to lose my loyalty points." It's all those like small things that keep your residents like happy and keep them within your portfolio. I feel like your next article is going to be on an airline. <laughs> oh yeah, no, that's what it's called. <laughs> so, okay, let's go back to the the business of building a business. I so you want to attract top talent with sort of outside the industry perspectives that they can adapt to yeah. the multifamily space. Are there other sort of facets of building a business that you're focused on besides bringing in the talent to, to execute on some, some things? Uh, yeah. So a big thing for me is people that, uh, like my podcast called like that prime and rebels podcast. So people that have like a little bit of rebel in them. So where they see things that they want to disrupt. I mean, I know that sounds like cliche, but I think it's like absolutely true because it's really easy to get like comfortable with how things are. So wanting to find people that really are all about like disruption, they don't get comfortable. They always like challenging like the status quo for how things are like done. So for me, that's like a big element of finding those like disruptors to keep, uh, to have internally to keep us like honest because it's very natural for um, uh, for any company as you grow to get really complacent or to quickly grow complacent. So you want to have that like constant, like, okay, what else can we do? How can we do X differently? And then having those people that constantly push you like forward. So I, I have a question there. So you're the founder, sure. you, you hire very talented people, very smart people. You bring them in, y you have a vision for what you want Flamingo to be. When you bring talented people in like that who have very strong opinions and strong uh, convictions themselves, how do you create an environment or a culture where you as the founder may have a vision of, of one thing, somebody else comes in with an equally compelling idea? How do you, how do you keep your ego in check? Uh, yeah. I'm curious. No, a really good question. And um, I don't think it's something I have an answer to. Uh, but I think part of it is you recruit people that have like what that end goal looks like. And okay. the end goal is we want to get an industry that traditionally hasn't embraced technology, hasn't embraced like uh, retention to mm -hmm. really accept like, hey, let's keep our residents for the long term. How we accomplish that, that's where it's off a debate. So ah, okay. you kind of have that singular like end goal for where you want it to be. Because for me, my goal is like we should get the industry to 75% retention. Yeah. And there's no reason why that shouldn't be the case. How that how we accomplish that is really up to the team where we come in and discuss like what is the best way of doing it. Uh on the product side of our company, the product team knows, okay, the goal is to get the industry to 75% retention. If we are debating between two features, should we focus Q2 on this feature or this feature? Let's pick the one that has the highest chance of driving retention. Uh... On the marketing side, uh, should we publish this article or work on these articles or do this? Let's create content around how to drive retention. So send more emails to your residents and here's the reasons like why you should do that. Here's how to do a really great pool party and that's how you can use this to drive retention. So everyone has that um, North Star for what we are trying to achieve and then how that's done is really based on their own like preference. And the debate then is really around like which element of the thing we want to do is going to drive that much faster and much more in-depthly. So you might say, 
let's write this article about this. I'll say, let's write this article about this. Okay, we want this to drive retention. Which of these two articles would help drive retention uh, much more? That makes sense to me. Yeah. That makes sense. I, I'm curious, you, uh, you've, you've built this business. Uh, are there things that you know today that you wish you knew back when you started to build the business because maybe you would have advanced faster or maybe you would have whatever the X would have been, but are there things you know now that you wish you would have known then that would have helped the business in the beginning? Oh, yeah. oh my gosh, like so many. <laughs> it's like today, I know things that if I did yesterday, I would have been way more helpful. <laughs> um, so no, there are um, a lot. Um, like, I don't think we didn't, for example, we didn't start going to conferences until like much later. So, uh, that would be an example. Like, we're like, yeah, it's expensive. It's like a lot of work. Like I can just call you and talk to you. <laughs> Why do you need to see me at a conference? <laughs> so yeah, we were, I was very like anti-conference for a long time. Like, I don't, I don't need to spend so much money, travel somewhere just to build a boot. Uh, so it wasn't until later that I was like, okay, it's a very relationship focused industry. Sure. Um, so you need to like be where the people are, uh, where they like gather. Um, so that would be one big example of something <laughs> I should have done way earlier, uh, if I knew better. So just like did not do that. So now I oh, definitely more on the conference element, which is why you saw the pink flamingo. I, that's, that's right. I mean, I mean, I'm sure. I, I try to pay attention to LinkedIn, you know, feeds and all of this. Yeah. But I have a day job too. So it's, uh, sometimes it's hard to keep track of all of it, but that yeah, you were a remarkable, a memorable rather, uh, <laughs> booth at that conference. Yeah. Yeah. So when we decided to do conference, we were like, okay, we need to do it in a way that like actually stands out and I get more benefit from it than just like being here. So like, how can we do that? It's like, oh, okay, let's do podcasts as well too. So we can kind of kill two birds with one stone. Uh, meet customers, get more content for our blog or for our podcast, and then actually also have a booth as well too. <laughs> yeah, definitely. If yeah. you're killing birds, you don't want to kill flamingos, right? I'm just oh kidding. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. Uh, sorry, that one was also planned too to talk about that. <laughs> you can kill anybody except for that bird. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, well, I I want to uh, give you an opportunity. I, we're coming. We're over an hour into this uh, conversation. I feel like we could just talk for a long time. Uh, you, you have an incredibly pleasant personality and I just love your, your insights and your ideas, but I also want to be respectful of, of time here. And I, you know, it's funny, I, I have this debate off air a lot and people uh, think that podcasts should be like 15, 20 minutes long because it's, you know, any longer than that. And people yeah, don't the attention span of people. So. Yeah. And I'm thinking you don't live in Atlanta and commute to work, uh, you know, an hour one way. So I, yeah. I like hour long podcast. Yeah, um, anyway, I want to give you an opportunity to any other wisdom you would impart by, uh, to our audience by way of building a business or Flamingo specifically, um, just love to hear kind of an in cap for you, uh, as it relates to, to what you're up to these days. Yeah. So I think it goes back to a few of the things that we spoke about. Um, my biggest advice to anyone in the industry is to look externally a lot more than people like do. Mm -hmm. uh, because there are lessons to be learned from like every industry, uh, I actually had this exact conversation with one of my friends earlier today where he um, has like a small business and I was talking about, I look at small businesses to look at like what they do. Small businesses should look at what tech companies do. Um, X company, X industry should look at how it's done in another industry because mm -hmm. everyone faces like very similar uh, challenges. And for some companies, the challenge is a lot more painful so they are forced to innovate much more and solve that problem. So um, my friends in the student housing industry might hate me, for, uh, hate me for saying this, but in the student housing industry, one of the things that happens during the summer is turn. And yeah. they make this out to be this like, create again, like I've, I say this, like they make, they're going to hate me for saying this. They make this seem like this crazy thing that is so challenging and so hard to like do. And I'm like, okay, yeah, it is hard to move people in and do all of that. But do you know what industry does that every single week? 
hotels. That's right. <laughs> like hotels have turned every single day, every single week. They lose half the people, half the people move in, but they have built systems in place where it's just like not part of the business. Right. So if I'm in student housing, I look at like how are hotels like solving that like <laughs> daily right. turn and figure out like how they do it and then bring it to the student housing um, uh, process as well too. So uh, look externally, find the companies that are facing the same problems you have, but for them, it's more of a life and death. And then you know that you look at how they have solved it and you can probably use the same methods to solve it yourself. Yeah, that is tremendous advice. It's, uh, you know, nobody in the world has cornered the idea market in, <laughs> right? And to your, to your point, inspiration comes from everywhere. You cited some inspiration coming from residents sometimes to solve mm -hmm. problems that you might have on site. Inspiration comes from other businesses and industries out in the, in the world, in the marketplace to make your business better. Yeah. That's fantastic advice. I appreciate that. Yeah. No, thank you for having me on. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Well, where, uh, where can people find you? I want to make sure we link up to all the appropriate places in our show notes uh, so we can point people your direction. I'm going to put those articles in there. And again, I want to plug them one more time. You should read them all of them. Oh, no, thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah. So check me out on LinkedIn, Jude G. And also check out uh, Flamingo's website, so getflamingo.com. And I would recommend you follow us on LinkedIn as well. Uh, we have a pretty strong meme game. So we have some really fun memes that uh, you might enjoy. I, I love it. Um, well, I acknowledge you, uh, Jude, for what you're doing in the industry. I'm an old timer. So when I see people of youth come along and really disrupt the business, it just, it, uh, it really... I wish I were 10 years younger to see like some of this stuff really play out in the industry or 20 years younger. Uh, but I appreciate you as a person and what you're doing for the industry. Uh, no, thank you for having me on. I uh, love the multifamily collective. I'm really excited to uh, continue building a relationship and see uh, what the other guests have to say. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. All right. Thanks, Jude. And uh, for everyone else, we'll see you next time on Collective Conversations.